Sports Talk Show with Zach and the Professor on 107.9 The Fan. Oh, good afternoon and welcome to Leaving the Yard. Minute after 5 o'clock here on The Fan 107.9. Chuck, Zach, Tony, Kirk. But no, it's not really us that matters today. Today we have greatness. Coach Minner joining us today. Rick Minner, who has been a uh, frequent guest on the show. Yep. Not frequent enough. Hey. We need John more often. You need to come back to town more often. Okay, let's do it. That's <laughs> I think he, we need to talk to his agent, Roger Shepard, because every time he's in town, Shepard's got a picture with him on social oh, media. That's there. crazy. We're, we're going over there as soon as we get done. So he's going to have another picture. <laughs> For the uh, red bone, yeah, another uh, picture coming today. <laughs> right. Steve, you should have an endorsement deal with him at this point. You've been over there all. You know, time. when I was in high school here locally, Roger was down at Hooks, and I think we're like maybe a year apart or something like that. But this name, Roger Shepard, certainly revered here in this area. Oh yeah, Roger's a good man and was a good guy way back when. But we never really met. I mean, I knew of him. Maybe he knew of me. I don't know. He was a star athlete. Uh, his wife did well. Then he go, and then I start my coaching career at La Tech, and then you know you found out that uh, he went to school there. So we had a little bit of connection, not only the Texas Hooks, but the fact that he got his degree, both he and his wife from uh, Louisiana Tech, right? And I think one of their daughters went there. The whole deal. So mm-hmm. uh, it's a it's a good school, a good location, and then I've enjoyed. Uh, since 2020 of being back around a little bit more where I actually got to meet him after he opened up Redbone. So it's been good to kind of kindle that friendship a little bit. So I, I, we went by there last week one time, so it was great pizza. <laughs> Somebody's calling you there. Imagine that. Your phone. Do they that not is, know soon you? Enough, as soon as I, it's probably one of the kids. As okay. soon as I put my phone up there, it starts to ring. We apologize for that. Unfortunately, People uh, are unaware well, of the fact that we're doing a radio they show. They won't take no for an answer. And have been doing it for 20 years. Yeah. Oh, well. That's all right. It, my daughter still hadn't figured out I do a radio show at 5 o'clock. She'll ask me at 440, where are you going? Same <laughs> radio. place I've been going over the last 20 yeah. years. Yeah. So, making more money to shows, give you off at college. Shows you how much you're missed. That's right. Yeah. Or so how much they pay, pay attention. attention that's, that's it. Yeah. Anyway, it's great to see you. You look good. Has this been a good summer? It's been a good summer. It's been uh, probably the first normal summer as we talked off the air in about five years. You know, when I was at Florida Tech, and then all of a sudden you did the AAF, you did the XFL, you did the pandemic, we did... uh, Can we not do the pandemic again? No, let's don't do that If you're going to do XFL or pandemic, which one do we not want to do again? No, I I would choose the XFL. (laughs) You would choose to not do it again? Oh, I'd love to do the XFL. Okay, all right. In the pandemic. But okay. uh, ironically, uh, uh, speaking of that, had I been available, I probably would have been back in the XFL this past spring. Really? Yeah, with, uh, I, I would say I would have been with Arlington, the team that eventually won the thing. Mm-hmm. It was kind of bizarre because the Bob, uh, Bob Stoops is the head coach, and then he reached out and hired the guys that used to be the St. Louis staff, which was what I was connected to. Okay. So you had Jonathan Hayes, Jay Hayes, brothers. Uh, OC and DC, and then Tim Lewis. Tim Lewis, the guy I worked for Birmingham, guy I worked with in St. Louis, right. kind of all in the family. And there I am in Ann Arbor, working, very happy uh, to be doing that. But had I, had I been available, I think I'd have been offered the opportunity to coach the linebackers there first. Another good friend of mine got that job, and then, so I watched them all spring, and they turned around <clears throat> and took the quarterback from Las Vegas. They were struggling. I mean, Arlington was just terrible early on in the season. And they reached out and made a trade to Las Vegas and traded for Luis Perez. They're yeah, right. down the road at East Texas. That's All right. right. Let me see. But it's the kid we had. Yeah. Yeah, it's the, t- it's the kid we had at Birmingham yep. as our starting quarterback. Yeah. And he and I are friends on Facebook, and I'm so happy for that guy. He's just kind of sticking with it. Obviously, he's not going to be an NFL quarterback, but he's going to hang around these spring leagues and be a star. And because he rescued, I don't think they lost a game after they traded for him, and then went right through the playoffs and won the thing. Why can't a guy like Luis Perez become a backup in the NFL? You know, it's it's probably like that. You know, to where he's got all the ingredients, right. he's, he can throw the ball. He's very yeah. accurate. Is his number one thing. Smart and intelligence. Uh, but there's just somebody else, probably a tad better. And now age is working against him, probably a little bit. How old is he now? 
You know, it's been twenty six or seven. No, nah, we got to think he's older. Than older that. than that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's probably thirty. Oh, all right. But, well, uh, yeah, you're but probably still, done. you're right about it because there's three jobs on every yeah, roster, right. and he gets picked up after every season. They they get their try. You know, uh, the, after we got done with him in nineteen, he get hired uh, by the by the uh, Eagles. And, you know, then you read about it weeks later, you know, they're cut. And released. So yeah. that's the, the benefit of the leagues, these spring leagues, USFL, XFL. It gives guys a little bit of a second chance, maybe a third chance. Every now and then the blind hog, you know, strikes and the kid sticks. And it gives coaches, particularly older coaches, something to do. You know, these are fun leagues to coach sure. in. I mean, they're like six-month deals, but you're on a 12-month contract. And uh, Skip Holtz won his second consecutive USFL down in Birmingham. And so they're doing well. But all these guys are mostly friends of mine. And I'm, I'm happy to see them still working and getting these opportunities that as, as life passes us by in some of the real world. We know there's 30, 32 really good quarterbacks in the NFL. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, there's a ranking order there. Right, right, right. But we know the drop-off for a league like the XFL's quarterback. It's right. hard to oh, find guys that. that can meet what the NFL standard yep. is. But other than the quarterback, is there an appreciable difference at the other positions between guys that are in the league and guys that are in the XFL? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a drop-down. It's a big drop. Is it but a big drop? Receivers can run. Okay. You get good receivers. I, I say fast receivers. Okay. Guys that can run, but they can't catch. A lot that's more a drop balls, yeah, and that's what separates them from right. sticking. Uh, D lineman, O lineman, there's a big drop off, but still, um, you know, they're big and mammoth in size. And uh, again, Birmingham, all five of our offensive linemen got a chance to run and see could they make a 90 man roster, and some of them did. Do they stick? No, but it's such a fine line. I mean, after being there for three years, you know, I had my one and two linebackers, but my three, four, and five. Like you could flip a coin with three, four, and five. So okay. what about six right. or seven? He's playing in these other leagues now, so it's not much difference. You know, it's it's uh, a drop off, but from the starters in the NFL, because some of the backups in the NFL yeah. are more closer to being right, the right, right. you know the USFL, XFL type guys. Well, you told us before that your backups in Philadelphia. A lot of times we're determined by special, de- oh, special teams play. Absolutely. I might have the choice, Tony, if I had five guys. I might have a choice of one, two, and maybe three just because he could be my swing. But on four and five, I don't have that choice ultimately. The special teams guy does. Now, if he and I are thinking the same, then we're good. But if it, it happened a time or two where my four or five was not necessarily my pick and not that I didn't know the other ones. It wasn't off the street. It was just four, five, six, seven. Maybe seven got to become five, and it was all due to special teams value. Right. So yeah, you don't you don't work in a bubble is what you're saying. You're having to make sure you mesh with what that guy oh, needs. Oh yeah. yeah, Because when you look at a a forty what a forty six man roster on game day, and that's what most fans don't even understand. Right. You get about sixty nine players on a team now with the expanded practice squads. You got 53 under contract, 53-man roster. 46 guys dress out on on Sundays or Mondays or Sunday nights or Thursdays. And uh, it's it's bizarre because well, I'm on the – the game day check, which is oh, yeah, really that's, important. Oh, yeah, big deal. And, uh, but I'm on the sideline at Michigan home game, and there's got to be 2,000 people on the <laughs> sideline. I mean, I can't even get from one end of the bench to the other without walking out on the field kind of like during a timeout. Right. <laughs> And you're sitting on an NFL sideline between the you know, between the, the borders of where they're supposed to be, you can get around pretty easy, particularly on a road game where even less people right. travel. But uh it, it's really different being uh even in the Big Ten on the road, seventy six players at home, 120, 125. It's a big difference. Yeah. And on the NFL, forty six guys, you take your eleven starters on both sides of the ball, a couple of key backups. So therefore you're your backup linebacker, tight end, safeties, corners, running backs, they're all going to make up the special teams. Uh, very few starters. Uh, and it doesn't take long to get through that group. And we had, at, at Philly, we had two guys on our roster. They were defensive players, so they had to count against us. They couldn't play dead on defense in reality. They just weren't reliable, weren't good enough. <laughs> But they were friggin', you know, go-getters on teams, covering right, kicks, right. being smart. 
but you didn't prefer to have them on the field. So there is a ranking system. Those safeties we had of one, two, three, pretty good. They could play. Number four was our special teams captain, and you did not want him on the field on defense. So you're playing a little bit shorter than even what your numbers say. When you get like 19 or 20 defensive players in that ball game, two of them are guys that are exempt almost because they can't play. I don't want to oversimplify it, but the guys on special teams don't have to think a whole lot, do they? Uh, they have to be given their due. I mean, there's a lot of techniques involved <laughs> okay. in doing it right, but after but, watching, but their assignments are assignment. You're running. They are. Yeah, you're running this lane. But I would renege on that statement if I was to show you uh, Brian Brayman of the Eagles. Okay, you know he came in from Houston. We signed him, big long-haired guy, wild and crazy man. That before he took the field for kickoffs, every single time. You know, like all these kids do, they paint themselves up, sure. you know, got the eye black and everywhere. He's taking these, uh, what do you call those little ammonia tablets, oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, cracking it open and sucking <laughs> the whole thing down and then just doing a Tarzan, yeah, you know, going crazy. Puts his helmet on, goes down there, gets in line and runs out there and goes like a scalded dog down the field. I mean, it's just like a guy's just high on energy. Yeah. But you're right. He... I, I, you stand corrected on that, or I do. Brian Brayman was not smart enough to be on the punt team. Uh, on the so, punt team? Well, the punt team is the thinking team. It's assignment-oriented, and you got to be good because that's the first way to lose a ball game right. is to get a punt blocked. So you got to have your six or eight reliables on that unit. Okay. Kickoff cover, guys that can just either be notified as a lane guy yeah. or a ball guy. The ball guy, no thinking. Go get the ball. <laughs> okay? And uh, kickoff return, assignment-oriented. Your return game is assignment-oriented, sure. and your cover team is defensive-like right. oriented. Just go get the ball uh, with lane integrity and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, but no, it's critical. And then that kind of carries over the fact that, that Michigan does such a great job on special teams because of Jay Harbaugh, son of Jim, nephew of John, we are one of the best special teams unit in the whole country because we work on it so hard all the time. Even in spring, everybody on the team outside the D-line, the offensive line, the quarterbacks are on special teams. And then we have the whole group divided up into competitive teams and make games out of it. And we're, we're good at it because we emphasize it. Not all schools emphasize it the same amount. When you got 120 guys on the sideline, you can do that. That's right. <laughs> and we have a bunch of walk-ons playing on our, on our kicking game because they're reliable, they're good, they're high energy. Uh, usually pretty productive, and uh, but no, it's fun to watch. See, that. that surprises me that you've got a walk-on kid that's actually getting on the field on special teams. It'll be less this year because of our roster is a more talented roster this year. But no, you'll get some good guys, and you'll see it more and more now because of now the. Are NIL. these preferred walk-ons? They well, were invited. More and more now because of NIL. Yeah. Okay, because every school will eventually have, if they don't already, about a hundred guys on full scholarship money, 85 scholarships. Right. And these next 15 to 20 are going to be NIL scholarships. I mean, they'll find somebody to pay their way and a fan of the program, and it'll be a better than average because they'll turn down a scholarship maybe somewhere at a little bit lower level, come to our place and be a little bit more look-alike. Not right. quite the same, but similar. But no, you can you can find some real gems in the walk-ons that go down on kickoff coverage. Right. It's a good place to take a break. We'll take a time out. Rick Minner's hanging out with us. We talked yesterday. If you were if you were listening, if Tony, if you listen to Tony's instruction, he said, "What are you supposed to do today?" Well, have you a cold drink, and every time Coach drops a name, you take a, a drink, have a swig, and <laughs> so now what do we get today? We got Bob Stoops, uh, we got Jim and Jay Harbaugh, oh, yeah. we got Tim Lewis. We, we had. Welcome back. 18 after 5 o'clock, leaving the yard. Zach and the Professor here on the Fan 107.9. Rick Minner hanging out with us this afternoon, and uh, that means we always get to talk tons of college football. Unfortunately, the last week has been dominated by the story out of your conference, uh, Northwestern. I know that that Pat Fitzgerald has a long – I think he was the longest tenured coach in the conference, wasn't he? Yeah, 17 years yeah. as the head man. And, and unfortunately, uh, in the last week or so, the 
lid blew off of hazing stories yep. that have come out on campus as well as at uh, Camp Kenosha up in Wisconsin yep. where Northwestern held their uh, their preseason workouts. I, I I can imagine you're heartbroken listening to this. I am really because uh, I'm a fan of Pat Fitzgerald's with long you know long before this. Ironically, when I was a D coordinator at Notre Dame back in 92-93, Pat Fitzgerald was a middle linebacker for Northwestern, yeah. and he was one heck of a football player. I mean, he was all Big Ten every year, just about he played. He was the real deal. He's their favorite son of Northwestern. I mean, he is the face of that program. And uh, when I first heard this thing break, and I, mean, I was kind of heartbroken for him, not, knowing the, not taking up for him one right, way or the right, other, right. not knowing the facts. But I knew when it first broke, my first response was, this will nail him. I mean, this will get him. You seldom survive any of these things because yeah. where there's smoke, there's generally fire. And then um, the president, I thought, mis- I thought Northwestern mishandled the whole thing from a PR standpoint and a, proce- and a process standpoint. So they came out, two weeks suspension, we'll e- you know, evaluate it and investigate it. Right. Then all of a sudden, more people came out, they said, in terms of whistleblowers and you know, when the, when the f- facts first break, then your alums go crazy, special interest group go crazy, and then the president felt the heat coming in on him, like, why didn't you do something more drastic than two weeks suspension? And you knew when he spoke on Sunday that, hey, I'm going to have to reassess. You just figured out what day is it going to be that it's going to fall, and it was the very next day. It was Monday. Yeah, we, we were on here Monday doing a show, so, and I said, I don't think he'd last to the end of July. No. He didn't last to the end of the hour. That's right. By 6 o'clock, we got off the air, and he was yeah. fired at that point very in time. Very unfortunate. Which was, From this point on, it's all legal about he said, she said about this, this, and this, because now Pat's got $40 million on the table yeah. to try to secure and for he and his family or parts of, they'll end up compromising. There'll be a settlement probably most li- you know, most likely you would what think. comes out of this. But it's unfortunate for mankind, football, Big Ten, and everything else. And it hurts that program tremendously when it's already a very, very challenged program to try to be good, you know. We, we were, you know, again, voicing the shock about here we are in 2023 with as many of these hazing stories have come out in the last 20 years. Yeah, yeah. And how programs have had similar results. Coaches lose their jobs. Kids get booted off the team. Right. On the other side, kids are victimized, are hurt badly, are killed. Yeah. And, and yet we still see it going on. And, and I get part of the, you know, it's a rite of passage, upperclassmen, Hayes, underclassmen. It bonds the team together. I went through it. You went through it. Yeah. We're all there together. Nobody talks because it's part of the code. But... It's I mean, similar. It's not, the, the things I heard are very similar type things that go on in fraternal organizations. Yeah. A little bit more private, not, not as big, but it goes on. And that's what they're trying to get rid of also. I went through it. I mean, I went through a hazing process with uh, being a pledge. A uh, little bit with football player, but not a great deal. Other than we had, They shaved our heads and all this. And back in the 70s, a lot of people had a lot of hair. And... Uh, so to cut all your hair off and right. shave it is kind of part of the team initiation. Right. That was something that had gone on at Henderson forever. Now, I don't know who started, but it did. Sure. We fell right in line and did it. So whatever went on up there has gone on a while. I don't know who initiated, who got it started, who keeps it going. But it's so it's very sad. It's, it's a sad story for all, all of college athletics, you know, because they are making a concerted effort. And it's so funny. All the, Since I've been at Michigan, it's so funny or so coincidental that Jim always speaks, particularly when a new group comes in. He always brings it up right away. No related to this case here, but it shows you his mindset. Fellas, I just want you to know, there is no hazing in our program. And he has said that a hundred times over the year and a half that Jesse and I both been there. You know, just a constant reminder to our players, hey, we're all in this together, one big family. And what makes our culture so good? I mean, all our guys are equal, walk-ons, normal guys, you know, scholarship players. They're all equal, treated fairly, squarely, all getting plenty of practice reps. And so our culture is really, really good. And uh, it starts at the top, of course, with Jim. But I was so saddened to hear this about Northwestern. Is that a good job if you're a young coach out there? Northwestern? I think it's a challenge, you know. Uh, 
they they won. Let me rephrase that, coach. Is that a good job if you're a young coach out there? Yeah. Is that? It's a it's a challenge, but it's a Big Ten job that pay five million dollars a year. Yeah. So that's pretty good. Yeah. And uh, you get the upper crust kids. You know, you have to battle. You have to go all the way. Your your canvas is almost the country, like a Stanford, like a Duke, a Vandy. Well, Notre Dame, you dealt. You yeah, talked about how thing. you had to find oh, kids yeah. who were football players right. and academic kids. But the the Notre Dame mystique and and story tradition. A little different brand. Yeah, it is. But there are similar kids. Because when I was at Notre Dame, you're going to compete against Northwestern, Stanford, Michigan, Ohio, I mean, all the big boys. But also those high academic schools are going to be in on exactly the same kids. So I've been at places uh, where, like in Ohio, when I was in Cincinnati, you'd always hear of Northwestern coming in there and grabbing guys just maybe a tad above what we were trying to get below what some of the Big Ten schools had to settle for. But they were winning. I mean, they were built upon discipline and, and techniques and fundamentals and toughness, kind of the Pat Fitzgerald way. Yep. And just, what, two, three years ago, they were winning the Big Ten West. That's right. And so they, it has been done, and it can be done. You know, Mike Hankwitz did a great job on defense. Uh, he retired, and they've been through a couple of guys since. But uh, I think you can win anywhere, doing the right things, getting the right quarterback, you know, all that sort of thing. But it, it'll be this will be something that sets the program back just because of internal change in the middle of the summer. Can it, NIL? Oh, go, no, go ahead. Can NIL money help a school like that? Uh, have you got enough of those deep-pocketed boosters that can come in and help offset the uh, you, tradition? Possibly, possibly could. But it's you know it's like the NFL would say if you don't hit on your number one draft picks you're going to soon be in trouble you know if you miss year after year on your ones so you can pick up the tail end of the roster with some more help with the nil's preferred walk-ons but if you're not getting some thoroughbreds up front in your top 15 recruits each year then you're going to be lagging the the pack a little bit so yeah it could help bolster your roster can help supplement your roster but it's never going to be the substitute for recruiting you know three four five star players and developing them you know. There are two parts of the termination of Pat Fitzgerald that we've kind of talked about. One of them was Tony actually saying one in eleven this past year. It, it, it makes it yeah. easier to walk away from a guy. I, I, I'll disagree where Pat Fitzgerald is concerned because I think it's hard to walk away from Pat Fitzgerald. Oh. But in a normal situation, this is an out for a university to get away from a one in eleven and back to back tough years That's after true. having won it three years ago. Yeah, I mean. Had he not reversed his trend, any of us are subject to, you know, having the people turn on you. Right. And uh, whether that was coming or not, who knows? They were a long way off last year. But you, if you watch the Ohio State-Northwestern game, you would think Northwestern's are seven or eight-win team. Yeah. Because they played them that way. It was on that cold, windy day over yeah. there in Chicago. But they took them tooth and nail right down to the wire. Ohio State won the game in the second half. So they've always been good on defense. They have to have a star or two on offense to shine, be it the option, the read option. Um, But, no, it's going to be interesting to see who they choose by November, December. Now, the good news for Northwestern, they have all fall to start vetting their list, making up some candidates. But in this particular case, with something that's kind of poisonous within, I think you're really going to have to look at a true outsider of Northwestern football. It'll be hard to reach to grab one of their own. Somebody's come through the ranks, became a star, goes off and becomes coordinator for a bigger program. you got to be careful. They'll they'll vet them, I'm sure, very thoroughly. But it can't be anybody that has any connection recently to that program or they would be – uh, risking something. It almost goes back to Tony's question about is this a good job? You know, a lot of jobs you look at as a springboard to something better. Everyone's right. looking for the better job. Everyone right. wants to be at Ohio State or Michigan or right. Alabama, Georgia. Is is Northwestern in a spot right now where Wisconsin's got a new coach? Oh, yeah. Minnesota's an upticking program. Nebraska's got Illinois. a new coach. Illinois is oh, upticking. Yeah. Uh, Iowa is still there. Is, is Northwestern Iowa. any better than being second place. from the bottom in that, yeah, in that I mean, division? Me, me being employed by Michigan, I'm not going to just sit around and bash Northwestern. No, 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 but no, no, no. It is a tough. It's a tough situation. If I'm a young coach, is that a? I'm going back to this question. I'm reasking. I think is if is that a job that I think I can parlay this into a raise or into a job that's better? But I got to have two or three years it to be able be a to Matt show. Matt Rule type situation where Matt Rule. 
found himself coming back to the college ranks right. and all of a sudden. I don't think he would ever take that job. You know, like I, Matt Rule? No, I don't think so, but that's just my thought. Uh, you know, back in the day, Eric Parsegian left Northwestern and went to Notre Dame. Gary Barnett, an assistant, got Northwestern up yep. and bolted for Colorado. Yep. And then uh, they reached out to the Mid-American Conference and hired Randy Walker. So Pat became a coach probably six, eight years sooner than he was groomed to be the coach and became the head coach at 32, 33 years old and has now been there 17 years. And, of course, we're saying all this, and Northwestern back in our day was terrible. They in Kansas State were the worst programs in the country. Danny Green was a head coach at one time, yeah. and I think they lost 33 games in a row. <laughs> yes. So it's it's a tough job, and it, his, history has shown that it's a tough job. But look at Cincinnati. Historically, at times, it was a horrible job. Nobody wanted it. They couldn't win. When I took the job, the one winning season in the previous 13 years, and then now look at them right. now playing in the playoffs, you know, that type of thing. So things can change. It takes the right guy at the right time to make it change. Uh, I do think Wisconsin came out with a superstar in Fickle. Yeah, Matt Rule, uh, like you said. That now we got one more year here of the Big Ten East versus West. Then it's just going to go like all these other super Craziness, leagues are yeah. going, where they go the pods a little bit more. But it's. I mean, I feel bad for the players. Uh, we lost a player in the portal over to Northwestern, and who knows. He may be back. You never know. <laughs> Using the excuse, I'm not excuse, but the reason uh, I didn't know, because that's what Pat has said. I, I didn't know this was going yeah. on. I, I, I found that hard to believe. He's guilty either way. You know, for a guy who's in the middle of his yeah. program like he is, I found it hard to believe, and I'm not saying he's lying, but I find it hard to believe that a head coach doesn't know that guys are – Doing yeah. things in the locker room that's inappropriate. Yeah. That position pl- coaches don't know it, and they haven't said something to the boss. That's right. If the boss himself, I just I find it really difficult to swallow that with, you know, complete trust that he's telling us exactly. You know, whatever it was and is that they were doing is, is something a little specific to them that they've had pride in, that's gone on for who knows how right. long and who started it. Who knew about it? I'm I'm a little bit like you, but yeah. I, I know having been in the head chair, I would not want anything going on in my program that I did not know about, even if it would eventually cost you your job. Sure. I think anything that happens on your watch, you have to be accountable. Yeah. Whether you knew it, you denied it, or lied about it, you still have to take the whatever that fall is. And in this case, it's a big fall. There you go. We're gonna take a break. It's- 29 till 6 o'clock, leaving the yard. Rick Minner's hanging out with us. we got to talk about going fast when we come back. Apparently that's a problem in college football, going too fast. At least it is in Georgia. We'll come back in a minute, leaving the yard. Zach and the Professor, you're on the fan, 107.9. Welcome back. 26 minutes till 6 o'clock, leaving the yard. Zach and the Professor here on the Fan 107.9. Uh, tomorrow, Kirk and Company, by the way. Chop will be in here. We'll talk some Ellie athletics tomorrow. Excellent. Rick Minner's hanging out with us this afternoon. We've been talking a lot of college football because, after all, that's what he does. And we uh, teased before we went to the break about uh, the uh, stuff going on at Georgia and, you know, we said it yesterday. We'll throw it back out here. You're around young men who are, for the first time, getting money in their pocket. Thank yeah. you, NIL. They're buying better cars than you or I could buy when we were in college. Or now. Or now. <laughs> or now. <laughs> and, and and those cars go a lot faster than oh, they yeah. used to. And, and Georgia's not the only program in the country having issues with this, but they're the ones right now that are under the microscope because certainly a couple of players were killed in an accident right. earlier in the year, and, and now there's a lot of highlighting about the fact that we got kids that are doing stupid things right now. And yeah. then Kirby came out and said, what do you want me to do about it? I'm trying. Well, you know, when you win – the spotlight turns to you all the way and social media now and, and, and information access has put all of this to the forefront 
of everything. Nobody can do anything anymore that, you know, used to maybe got away with or maybe the law enforcement called the head coach and said, hey, you got a problem here with this kid, blah, blah, blah. It might go on a little bit, but for the most part, things come out. And uh, there's a price to pay, you know, ultimately the life of somebody back in January right. after a celebration. Uh, while we talk about things like hazing and things in the locker room, things on the premises, I do think a coach is accountable for any or all of that to be to, to know that. What my guys do in their cars can only be part of an educational process, perhaps, yeah. bring people in, you know, show them horrid films of how these things can end although we never learn from someone else's mistakes never generally. Do. But uh, a guy speeding up down the road, you might bring him in, just have a little powwow with him and say, do you understand what you're risking, both first for someone else's life and then your own and then your career, your earnings, all these things. But I, I, I would not hold Kirby accountable for people speeding, uh, but to try to curtail it a little bit. I mean, why is it in the news at Georgia that their kids speed and somebody on the West Coast or East Coast, they don't? <laughs> no, the spotlight's on the winners national right champion. Now. That's, That's right. right. You got Big 12 media days going on right now. You talked about Kirby dealing with the media in Georgia. Right. I'm sure when you were the head coach of Cincinnati, you had beat writers that covered you on a regular basis. Did you – tend to have a pretty good rapport with your beat writers or your columnists or was that confrontational at times uh, it was it was so so sometimes uh i was always my anger or uh coming down on them a little bit would be because simply our lack of coverage and exposure to the city i always used to say you know well what about a kid going to princeton high or wyoming high or molar does he wake up every day back before social media and all the media prompt I'm talking about hard newspapers was what we were dealing with I said does a guy wake up every day in this city of Cincinnati believing that he lives in the town of a division 1a program and I say that just from coverage you know something daily about our team yeah. or every other day about our team stuff like that we it's so much better now a little bit is it a, better or is it a pain in the butt now it, well it could be either way if you're having issues you're having to try to defend we didn't have a whole lot of issues that were highlighted that our guys had to, you know, that I had to try to defend them on or stuff like that. I was always trying to be on the soapbox to try to get people to come to our games, try to, to get better media coverage for what we were trying to do good over there. So our situation, there's nothing like, of course, that these guys are being dealt with today or maybe the head coach at Cincinnati is being dealt with today because of the time span of 20-plus years now has elapsed. You used to know who your guy was. Right, oh, yeah. I mean, your beat right. You knew your guy, right? Well, now your guy could be some keyboard warrior that's never been oh, yeah. in your facility at all. It's much more of a yeah. challenge to be uh, number one, a head coach today, and mm -hmm. have all you know Pistons fire at the same time, and have a great winning program, have everything under wraps with social media. Um, I remember being at Kentucky. This was even well, it was after then. It was like eleven and twelve, so right. a dozen years ago, yeah. and social media was beginning to be big. And we were we called a we called a meeting in the middle of the summer about this time of the year, uh, the compliance did okay and the and the media relations and compliance both put together a meeting, and I wanted to go sit in on that because it was for players, right. and they start reading all of these uh, not text but uh, posts either, yep. some posts like yep. Facebook post. Uh, I don't know if Twitter was out by then, but just these post things that were going around back then. And these, the way they handled the, meet, handled the meeting was they just read this, and it sounded like bizarre. Yeah. And it's, they'd say, who wants to claim that one? And nobody raised their hand. Then they'd call him out. Well, so-and-so, that's yeah. your post you right. put up last night. Now, so that's coming from an educational standpoint of how you're trying to head off problems. Right. Uh, when I was uh, with the Eagles, we had a guy hired who did nothing but search social media pages for all the prospects, the two, 300 guys on our board each year. All he did was study these guys and uh, work for Chip Kelly, and Chip was very high-character oriented, and we took a lot of guys off the board because of what they posted on social media. When one guy's has as his cover page he's sitting there in camouflage and an ak-15 we took that guy off the sure. board okay uh other things post 
disparaging women and making disparaging remarks and all this stuff. We took them right off the board. So, you know, kids are coming in an, uh, uh, in a world today that is so much more challenging. You know, they have so many more vehicles, not just vehicles, but social media right. tools at their disposal. And if they do not think before send, they've changed their lives a little bit, you know, or their perception of their lives. And, and it, the biggest aid to that effort for, for guys like you Maybe John Morant, the NBA player in Memphis, who multiple times now has been suspended for posting videos of himself with guns in his hand. Yeah. And the NBA's come back down and said, you can't do that. Right. You, boom, here's a you know, 20 game suspension. Right. That may be the thing that discourages players from doing that more than you and I ever going in there and saying, you can't do that. Seeing one of their contemporaries get hit with a suspension and cost him money. That probably is the thing that may that even, may even in this NIL, uh, the way we help address it, and I'm sure the way everybody else addresses it around the country, is this NIL is very much married to what you're now telling the player is your brand. Yeah, every kid has his own brand now, oh, yeah. and they make it up through social media and and their page. I don't even know how, what all these things are, <laughs> but uh, it is. I was watching the Major League Baseball draft the other night on Sunday, right. And uh, listening to top twelve, top you know, top twenty picks, and uh, was listening to uh, what's her name, the the female who does a great job interviewing these kids, right? Uh, used to be the play by play on Sunday Night Baseball. Yeah, uh, Hernandez. Um, or, yeah, Hernandez. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Men- Mendoza. Mendoza. Or Mendoza. Yeah. Mendoza. I think it's uh, Jessica Mendoza. And she was doing this great interview with this kid who's in high school. He's like fourth or fifth pick, kid from Indiana, I think, and. Um, and she says, this kid is so bright and so good. He takes him, you know, handles himself so well. Very articulate. He did an interview, right? And then she says, and what was so unique was when we were done interviewing, he says, now, ma'am, you can take this, 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 and, you know, make sure you put it up on this, 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 and this. <laughs> you know, and she says, this is the new age player, the new age kid. Yeah. Everything is about branding and making sure that your name gets out there in the most positive fashion possible and then they don't know what they do these guys that don't think before sin right. what damage they do to their brand when they do something off color you know you ever seen media types try to cozy up to assistant coaches to find a source within the program yeah oh yeah I mean there's like you say it's no longer your beat writer right. it's anybody that has a page or a podcast or something who's a fan they just want information I, I still believe, uh, kind of along that line, but I still believe one of the unintended consequences that's coming with this NIL stuff is organized crime and gambling uh, because people are going to get their meat hooks into these guys. So you think the information they're going to want is going to be uh, related to no, how much it, I lay it, down on it, Saturday it, afternoon? It could be. They did it way back when with the Boston College kids when it was obviously illegal, and they knew, and the kids knew by – hooking up with them, they were in deep trouble right. because that was a violation of taking money. Now it's not a violation of taking money. Right. So I just think down the road we're going to hear more and more about possible gambling. And that's gambling that's becoming, you know, the NFL is, is kind of two-faced. You know, they're, kind of. <laughs> well, they are two-faced. They're partnering up with all these you know, betting sites and, you know, DraftKings or what do you call yeah, it? Draft uh, Kings. Yeah, yeah DraftKings. Yeah, DraftKings. Yeah, and all this stuff. But then they say, now, players, you cannot uh, – you can't bet on the sport right. now. But we're, we're getting paid by those guys to yeah. help put on our products. And we put a team in Las Vegas. Okay, so they're very two-faced about gambling. And it's costing some of these guys. They're missing games, and that's game checks and all that stuff. Uh, it's going to happen in every sport, you know, uh, if not already, because gambling is becoming more and more legalized across the country in almost every venue. Well, when I found out that there's actually a place at Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati, you can place a bet, but Pete Rose is still out of the, the hall. To the inside. Yeah. Right, but, can't get inside the But, stadium. you know, you, you can be a, a baseball coach in Tennessee oh, yeah. and have a connection going to – Cincinnati to place. Well, those are fighting words in Cincinnati now. I mean, I've you know lived there. I love the city, and every person who's from Cincinnati will say, you know, defend Pete Rose. Right. I mean, he is their favorite son. He's from there, born and raised there. I've met the guy many a times, and and I feel bad for him that he's not in. And I do think he'll be in after he dies. I think somebody will say, let's just let him in. Let the record come in. Let the hit king. 
have his place in the Hall of Fame, but we're not going to let him enjoy it. And that's such a double, double yeah. edge. Well, two-faced. He's got an ally now because Barry Bonds today was saying he ought, he's been vindicated. He ought to be in the hall now. He ought to be allowed to have his vote. Yeah. So weird timing. Here we are talking football, and it, we rolled our way around to baseball as well. We're going to take a break. We'll come back. One more segment left with Rick Minner. Uh, we certainly want to talk about the upcoming season. It is a silly season as far as uh, realignment stuff, as uh, more schools, conferences are talking about the future. Mike Gundy today talked about it at Oklahoma State. We'll come back and visit about that when we return. Leave in the yard. Zach and the Professor. On the fan, 107.9. To feel the common effects of nature, take a deep breath. In and out. Dr. Benjamin Rush, the founder of public schools, said the Bible should be read in schools in preference to all of the books because it contains the greatest portion of knowledge that can produce private and public happiness. Now most schools don't even teach the Bible and may not even have one on campus, yet we wonder why we have so many problems. Maybe we need to listen to Dr. Rush and teach our kids God's Word. I'm Pastor John Miller. Visit me at churchontherock.org. What's going on in the Twin Cities? It's the Fans Community Calendar. All righty, welcome back. 11 minutes till 6 o'clock, leaving the yard. Zach and the Professor on the Fan 1079. Rick Minner hanging out with us this afternoon. Mike Gundy today said he thinks this will be the end of Bedlam. They'll get one more crack at Oklahoma as they head off to the SEC and uh, almost a, a man bemoaning tradition and history going out the window. It's part of the result of all of the realignment things that we've seen. We, we lost the A&M Texas series yeah. years ago when A&M went to the SEC. Yeah. Now we're going to lose Oklahoma, Oklahoma State as the Sooners go to the SEC. Is there somewhere in the, in, in the back of Rick Minner's mind the thought of we're losing a big piece of where – these schools and their fan bases really had been connected to the region around them. Yeah, I mean, change brings about all of that. I mean, when Arkansas bolted to the SEC ahead of a lot of these other places, there went the Texas-Arkansas rivalry for yep. that fan base. When the A&M got you know, sucked in, there went that rivalry. And now this is just experiencing the same thing. The OU-OSU's rivalry is experiencing exactly yep. – what Texas and A&M, but now they ironically ended back up together. You don't know 10 years from now is Oklahoma State part of a new drafting process. Sure. You know, you don't ever know. But no, it's it's always sad for fans and generations of players that have always played the Bedlam game to not maybe have that anymore unless they decide to schedule it out of the, out of conference type scheduling process you know if OU decides or OSU decides do we want that game to go on once every five years or so right that you've been a part of Michigan and Ohio State yeah what's your feelings about that rivalry is it everything you always thought it would be yep it's it's big time I mean it really is I've been involved fortunately in some big rivalries Notre Dame USC Arkansas Texas uh, South Carolina Clemson Henderson, I, I think Henderson Washita yeah I mean rivalries to me are have their bragging rights regionally. Now, the Ohio State-Michigan game is a big national, you know, it right. gets, gets a lot of play, too. It's one of the highest-rated games every year on TV. It's one of the most uh, storied rivalries all the way back. Really got started in 69. They've always been there, but in 69, when Bo took the job, 
who was a Woody Hayes guy, and they stayed great friends all the way to both of their deaths. But uh, he got it really going, and then um, and then recently it's been back and forth. I mean, uh, we've been fortunate to win two in a row, yeah. and everybody's hot for us right now, and think the sky's falling in Columbus, <laughs> and coming down on Ryan like crazy, etc. Yeah. And yet, if you look at the previous. 20 years prior to that we got dominated by osu so it's gone in cycles a big cycle for osu now hopefully a good starting cycle for the wolverines but it's passionate now i mean they refer to us as the school up north and they never say the word michigan and we refer to them as ohio don't give them the respect of the ohio state uh so that's a little slap in the faces for both schools but no, it's it's uh, you know Woody made it like that, Bo made it like that. It's carried over through the generations. Um, it's it is a great game, a great atmosphere. Obviously, I'm looking forward to the one this year because it's at home. We weren't there two years ago. Um, now I remember being with Jesse over. I want to say maybe the Tennessee game that we were playing with Vandy uh, played. I think a little bit later that day, and we followed the score of the Michigan Ohio State game, and it had been so dominated by OSU that all of a sudden with Mike McDonald, Jesse's protege from the Ravens, and all of a sudden you're you're following this score and right. all of a sudden Michigan's dominating the game. You're reading the stats and they're running the ball up their rear. They can't come close to stopping the run game. And then of course we were a part of it last year down there. And it was nip and tuck for three quarters. I mean we made some key plays on defense. They made some key plays on offense. We lived on offense by the X play. We had five passes two runs that accounted for almost all our points. And we, we, in the end, beat them down simply because we outrushed them like crazy. We pummeled them in the fourth quarter, which is what we've done the last two years. So it's a great rivalry. Now, now you're on the good side of the last two years. Yeah. But is, is it this kind of game? Because this game has huge significance. Not just it's a rivalry, but yep. at the end of the year, it's typically the, the leader in the Big Ten. Yep. If you're on the other side of this thing where you've lost a couple, especially, as you said, we've been getting punched in the mouth, had a ball run down our throats, right. does it change your recruiting and does it change your way of thinking a little bit when your rival has done this to you? Like, I have to address this. I'm not really worried about the other 11 games. Right. This one, i got to figure out how we can do this one better. It certainly changed the coaches right? Yeah, because they didn't perform. And so Ryan went out and got a good coordinator and Jim Knowles from Okie State. And uh, Jim went out and got one in Mike McDonald, then turned it into Jesse Minner, and now he's back and he's hot as ever and uh, doing a great job running our defense. Uh, the change in defense is what changed the course and, and coincidentally the commitment to running the football. Those two things at Michigan happened at the same time. Changed to Mike, the Raven way on defense, and changed to running the ball come hell or high water. And that, that was, for now, our secret sauce. We we just out toughen them, out physical them. Right. Uh, we practice it all the time, and uh, but then now it's you know their turn of course to try to answer, try to reverse the trend now that had been going on for sure. two years, and so they talk, 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 obviously to try to try to reverse that. But it it costs coaches their jobs. Uh, obviously, I'm sure they're reviewing everything about how they do things, just as we've done everything. Sure. And uh, but it's what makes it great. I mean, I like Ryan Day; he's a good coach. Uh, I've been around a lot of Ohio State people through my years connected. But uh, it, it is the deepest rivalry of, of rivalries. But I'm not saying that the Texas A&M no, is not no, big. No, no, get it. Uh, yeah. Everything else is not big to those fans. But this is a huge one, and it's fun to be a part of. Talk about specific things. That Ohio State receivers room the last couple of years has just been phenomenal. They, oh, they're so deep at receiver. When you're trying to – game plan to stop that what well we caught a break last year with some injuries that they had and then marvin was their number one guy will be the number one rated player in the whole country this year outside these top quarterbacks i mean he will be in the top five most likely drafted but uh first play of the game our rookie young will johnson at corner lined up and knocked him right out of bounds and i don't know if the kid was the same after that but uh so yeah they're blessed i mean does a good job. Uh, Heartline does a great job. They can recruit receivers and skill. They just attract somehow to them, whether it's their quarterbacks in the past, their passing game record. They do a nice job, and they're 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 a handful, no question. But uh, you just got to line up and beat them up a little bit, and try, try to play physical with them, and and that's what our DBs have the mindset of doing. The whole country's watching Colorado. 
obviously. Yeah, it's with, crazy. With Dion over there. Uh, walked in, basically told the whole room, most of you guys aren't going to be here next year. That's a, it, it, As a guy who's been around this a long time, who's inherited other coaches' kids, yeah, yeah. how does that make you feel? I t- the first thing I think about when I, when I heard about that, then I'll comment on that, is the Supreme Court – or, or in this, not not on the transfer pro. That was the NCAA, but the the hierarchy of the NCAA, when they started talking about let's give all these kids freedom to move with portals and mm-hmm. you know not just when the coach gets fired, you know that whole thing. All the powers that be, even the officials out at Colorado, is this what they really intended for it to be? It's possible because because Prime just did it right. But is that what they really want in college football to where a coach can come in, change jobs, and just like a Major League Baseball roster gets turned over, do they want it to be like that to where you're just telling all these guys to flat out get up out of your chair and go enter the portal? And then before you know it, you got 70 new guys on your roster. I just don't think that's what it was all about. Now back to your point, all eyes are on that program, particularly a new coach going somewhere. You're just saying – is this the real plan that works? Is this the fastest way to try to change my uh, direction of this program is to just get rid of all of them and bring in all new guys? And he's highly connected. If there's ever a guy that's capable yeah. of pulling off a bunch of portal guys, be it NIL, and that's what's made the portal so unique these days, right? Not just freedom of movement, but with cash. Right. And that's what's made it become like a college free agency program. And I'm not saying that's all bad, but it's certainly not all great for the game either. No, like you said, all eyes are on it. And if it works, you'll, you see, may it see, uh, you'll, it, you'll see it done. The best form of flattery is right. doing what the other guy so, did before you. So the future head coaches in NCAA may have the best uh, connection with street agents for now? <laughs> that's who's running the thing. Jeez. I mean, all these high school guys are getting to where they have these agents. Right. And uh, – and they're they're taking anywhere between twenty and twenty five percent of their NIL stuff, you know. Whereas pro agents, when you sign that NFL contract, those agents take three to four. And so these guys are being scammed all over the place. So I guess if a head coach gets to know some of those guys and can pull them in there, just like you know Rick Patino did with the AAU basketball forever. <laughs> I, I got to cut you off. We've got music in my ear. <laughs> we appreciate you coming uh, in, Rick Minner. Great to see you. Yeah, Come in again yeah, before we'll you go back to start the season. We'll yeah. get you in again. Sounds good. We're done for today. We'll see you guys tomorrow at 5. We'll do it again here on Leaving the Yard.